0: welcome to the fearless health podcast with host dr Anne marie barter dr barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly dr barter is the founder of alternative family medicine and chiropractic in denver and longmont colorado
1: Thank you so much for joining us here on Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today I'm very excited. We have Ralph Sanchez with us. He has over 20 years of experience as an integrative healthcare provider specializing in functional medicine approach to solving underlying causes of many health disorders. For the last 18 years, his research focus and study has been centered around metabolic and biochemical underpinnings associated with Alzheimer's disease and the progressive research that is building the foundation for brain deterioration strategies, both Alzheimer's and dementia. Ralph's passion is to enlighten others and to share his insights on Alzheimer's disease, the that pandemic that's drawn his in-depth review of research and how the body of science can be transformed into actionable steps and risk reduction and prevention. He has two books, The Diabetic Brain and the Improved Mind Diet that provides the, the critical information regarding the leading risk factors associated with Alzheimer's disease and how diet, nutrition, and personalized medicine approach can dramatically cut the risk. Thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: Oh, and I'm so pleased to have the invitation, Dr. Barter. I'm really looking forward to our discussion.
1: I am too. I am too. So this is a really important topic. Brain deterioration is becoming more and more common, and um, it starts very early. And I would love to hear your story because I believe it highlights that.
0: Well, thank you. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, my journey uh, somewhat began with an awareness of my own risk for cognitive decline as I aged. But really what started the journey was I was reviewing some information following a uh, conference uh, led by a, uh, well, he's referred to as the father of functional medicine, Dr. Jeffrey Bland. And there was a note that he had put into his uh, handouts regarding a marker, a genetic marker, uh, which is referred to as the APOE4 genetic variant, which is very well known now, very well known now and is the um, most validated genetic risk marker for looking into uh, an Alzheimer's risk issue in any uh, individual. But that started me on a whole journey of research and investigation into not only what that marker meant and what it represented in terms of a risk, but it uh, brought me into the awareness of so many other factors associated with the risk for Alzheimer's disease And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that I had some significant risk factors associated with uh, a potential, a potential for cognitive decline and dementia as I aged. And uh, uh, two big ones was a a history of severe brain trauma. I had uh, fallen asleep while driving and uh, crashed into a telephone pole in my head. had a severe injury as a result of um, I didn't have my seatbelt on. So I went right into the windshield and I almost died from that experience. So uh, brain trauma, history of brain trauma and a severe concussion like that can really raise your risk for uh, dementia as you age. Uh, The second thing and third thing that were involved in my awareness was the uh, work that I had been doing prior to getting into medicine, which was landscaping. And I was young and uh, not very uh, smart about uh, how I was going about my business. And uh, in my landscaping business, I was using pesticides uh, without protecting myself, without being really really careful about how I use them and my exposure. So I had pretty severe pesticide exposures. And sure enough, I started to feel pretty lousy uh, soon thereafter and couldn't figure out why because I just didn't put two and two together. I didn't have the the knowledge uh, about uh, how all this worked, of course. And lo and behold, years afterwards, I discovered in um, looking at all of this once I was in my practice, because I was uh, searching for answers to my own health issues as well, too. And I discovered that the pesticides and herbicides that were used at that time were laden uh, were with mercury. And so a light went off in my head and I go, oh, my God, I probably have accrued a very severe body, what's called a body burden of mercury. And so I did a uh, standard medical, uh, what's called a provocative test, metal chelation test. And sure enough, um, my mercury was off the chart. And I didn't have a significant amount of amalgams, which can be associated with a uh, higher uh, mercury body burden. As a matter of fact, I only had two small ones. But my mercury was off the charts. And so when I embarked on taking care of that through mercury detoxification protocols, I felt to so much better. But those were three of the major um, uh, pivots in my life, the brain trauma, the pesticide exposure, the realization that mercury had accumulated in my body. That really uh, opened up my eyes to my potential risk for uh, cognitive problems as I aged.
1: That's an, an incredible story, and I don't think most people put it together as soon as you did um, to, to realize it was maybe mercury pesticides and the brain trauma that contribute to that.
0: Well, yes. And, um, you know, now, as as a matter of fact, back then, uh, this was in uh, the late 1900s, 1997, 98. And, uh, you know, the the thing around Alzheimer's at the time was people were really wondering, well, what the hell caused it? Right. Uh, Nobody really had put two and two together as we have now. You know, it's been uh, over 20 years of research that has advanced considerably. But back then, people were talking about uh, aluminum and mercury. Of course, metals are well known to be uh, a big contributor to the potential for neurological disease. And, of course, pesticides and Parkinson's uh, was a link that was really growing in terms of an awareness at the time, but um, nobody was really kind of putting all of these uh, risk factors together and saying, boy, if you have this kind of history, you know, you're probably um, at risk. You're probably at risk for a dementia or Alzheimer's as you age. Uh, so you better look into these factors, but there were only a few that were considered to be probable risk factors not necessarily causative you know of course people were looking at well what are the causes of alzheimer's disease and uh, so these types of issues whether they would would be mercury related or other metals or even pesticides were starting to be um, recognized as a possible a link in this whole association with um, Alzheimer's disease, but so many other factors that we know now, you know, are a huge problem were really not discussed at all at the time. Of course, as I mentioned, the ApoE4 genetic marker was uh, utilized a lot in cardiovascular risk assessments, but nobody was really talking about and utilizing these genetic risk assessments that are now readily available through uh, places like 23andMe, which does include the APOE4 marker. And so people now can go out and, and look at a lot of these uh, issues. Of course, I don't recommend that they start uh, you know, thinking that they might have a problem because they have a genetic risk marker for it because all of this, Is just a risk assessment to your potential for an issue related to neurological problems as you age. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have a problem. So, between genetic markers and toxins, there could be many other types of toxins that you're exposed to, you know, any sort of brain trauma, including um, strokes as you age. As a matter of fact, my book, The Diabetic Brain and Alzheimer's Disease, what I emphasize there and what I think is really uh, a huge problem and probably the biggest for most people as they age are metabolic and biochemical issues related to type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease that significantly raise your risk for a vascular dementia, or an Alzheimer's disease as you age.
1: So you mentioned a lot of great information just now, and I just want to make sure that I summarize it because I feel like there's so much misconception around brain deterioration. Like, what pill can I take to fix this problem? And so the problem here is that there's not really one cause, and and I think that's what it boils down to. In your case, it doesn't sound like, or you haven't mentioned that there were metabolic factors as much, and maybe there were, but um, you mentioned head trauma, mercury, and pesticides as being a contributing factor to yours. But in other situations, you know, many strokes are related. Um, blood sugar dysregulation, you mentioned specifically type 2, and cardiovascular disease are all contributors in, in, in significant cognitive decline. Is that correct?
0: Oh, absolutely. And actually, that was a part of my issue as well, too. Now, when I started to uh, segue out of the landscaping business, and I decided to really make a major shift in my life. And I just I chose, um, you know, complementary medicine, and went into my education and started uh, the whole path towards Chinese medicine and got my credentials and went on to develop an expertise in functional medicine. Well, that path coincided with wanting to be really healthy as I aged, right? Because of the problems that I had experienced, I was really motivated to fix them and to make sure that I didn't wind up like my father, (laughs) who I saw pass away from issues related to cardiovascular disease. So in my awareness as a practitioner and in the functional medicine model of putting two and two together, I realized that I had also a genetic risk for cardiovascular disease. And I had uh, also witnessed a decline in my mother's health, which I didn't know at the time because I wasn't uh, privy to what uh, she had you know, been diagnosed with other than the fact that she was on a, a, a medication to control her hypertension. But that also clued me into the fact that she had some metabolic problems, some cardiovascular disease risk issues. But I didn't know until uh, she started to develop some um, cognitive decline uh, problems, which uh, morphed into dementia that I realized that she had metabolic syndrome through many, many years. And that had really uh, shunted her into this cognitive decline. Now, my mother and father were immigrants. And when they first came up into the United States, they worked at a factory. And that factory um, utilized a lot of metals and the work that they did. So they also had, both my mother and father had a severe exposure to your metals while they were working in those factories for many years. And so I'm positive, I'm positive that the metals contributed to not only their cardiovascular disease, but in the case of my mother, her metabolic syndrome, vascular disease, metabolic problems, you know, it's well known the metals can contribute to all of that. But of course, my father, he, um, he didn't exercise, he was overweight, and so he probably, without having been diagnosed at the time, he, he had some metabolic problems. He definitely had cardiovascular disease. And whether he had something associated with metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes, well, I just don't know. But all of that really started to hit home in terms of my own risk on that side of the spectrum of vascular disease and metabolic problems. And one of the things that arose for me, so I I decided, well, that's not going to happen to me. Because fortunately, I was blessed with this awareness now. And I was doing everything perfectly. I was exercising, eating really well, meditating, had stress, you know, pretty much under control as much as you can. But I was doing all of the things that modify it, you know, meditation. As a matter of fact, a meditation and that whole path was a significant component to to my journey into complementary medicine. But um, what I uh, had decided to do, as I mentioned, was to just really get into a preventive model. But one of the things that I had overlooked, and uh, it was really dumb, you know, you can be your own worst doctor, Dr. Barter. Uh And I was... I was myself. So I had the symptoms of what is called uh, benign prostate hypertrophy. And uh, it's an enlarged prostate issue that um, some men get as they age. Now this was happening to me in my 40s, so it was really quite early. But I thought, well, okay, I can manage this. I know what to do. And I'm just going to keep an eye on it, so I kept uh, a watch on um, what is called my uh, prostate-specific antigen, you know, and other markers related to inflammation. So I was was checking on those regularly to make sure that uh, there wasn't any issue there. But what I didn't realize was that I didn't have a prostate problem whatsoever. I had all the symptoms, but because I didn't go to a urologist to make sure that all of of this checked out and I had sort of self-diagnosed this enlarged prostate problem, it actually was another more serious problem. And what had happened was I had developed a growth in my bladder that um, started to grow over a sphincter. And that uh, sphincter in the bladder is what opens up and releases urine, right? And uh, it it wasn't um, allowing the release of urine when the sphincter would open up because that growth would fall over the opening and inhibit the release of the urine. So it looked like uh, a prostate problem with difficulty urinating and uh, frequency and whatnot, but it wasn't a prostate problem at all. So in checking my blood work and in my PSA, one day I looked at my kidney markers and I go, oh my God, these are going up. What is going on here? So I rushed to the urologist and I said, I don't know what's going on here, but I know this is not good. I thought I had a prostate problem. And he said, well, let's check you out, Ralph. And so he checked me and he says, Ralph, your your prostate is fine. Let's go do an ultrasound to see what we find in your um, kind of whole genital urinary tract uh, Uh, deal and so he said there it is you've got a little growth Ralph and every time you try and go to the bathroom that growth falls over the sphincter that's trying to open and release it and it's not and so that was putting me into renal stress and when you put yourself into a renal problem like that all kinds of other problems can kick up and what had um had developed at the same time as my blood pressure had started to rise, my blood sugar had started to rise. And I'll remind you that I didn't have any other risk factors associated with the onset of these problems, right? My diet was perfect, I was exercising, meditating. It was this renal stress problem that had been going on for years and years that had shunted me into a pro-inflammatory problem, you know, and a metabolic problem that was related to the renal stress. So I had put myself into metabolic syndrome, you know, and I had wondered why with all my and and, and and all the things that I was doing, why I couldn't control my belly fat a little bit more than I had. And so that was one of the reasons. I was slowly developing insulin resistance, the hypertension that coincided with all of these metabolic problems. So I had really thrown myself into a big, you know, cardiovascular metabolic stew. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, this is what... um, You know, is common in aging for people that don't have these problems with with blockages in their urinary tract, but it comes about because of dietary and lifestyle issues and stress, and it all just brews for years and years and years, and they don't realize it until their doctor finally says, Hey, you've got a problem here. But that's been going on for 20 years now, right? And what we now know about Alzheimer's disease is that this is something that brews and uh, develops over twenty to thirty years, and when you put two and two together and you see that there is a parallel track in aging between uh, type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and how that starts to shunt into, you know, pro-inflammatory and oxidative stress problems that puts your brain at a much larger risk for neurological disease like a vascular dementia and an Alzheimer's. Well, this is a lot of what's going on in people in today's world.
1: What what would be some early cognitive decline symptoms that maybe someone would see in their late 30s, early 40s that should give them a clue, like, I, I may need to go get checked out. I may need to really get a workup to get the whole picture.
0: Well, you're not going to see problems in your 30s. And that's, that's the issue, you know, for a lot of people. But what can start in your 30s quite easily, and we even know that it starts in adolescence or even younger, you know, are metabolic problems. You know, so if you're overweight, you know, and you have not uh, been to a doctor and looked at issues related to that, and most people do not, and most doctors will advise you you know, hey, maybe you should drop a few pounds or whatever, but they don't start to investigate. They don't start to investigate into what that really represents in terms of their health. Are they shunting into metabolic problems? Is their blood sugar going up? Is their hemoglobin A1C going up? Are there problems associated with inflammation and oxidative stress, they're not looking at things very comprehensively, especially if you're on an insurance-based care program. You know, they're kind of uh, getting you in and out the door and they may prescribe a medication or a drug to control certain things, but they're not being proactive in terms of a prevention model. So there's nothing in your 30s that's gonna clue you that you're probably on a track you know, for all of these problems as you age. Now, of course, it can get worse when you continue on uh, into uh, a ten-year path, and now you're in your 40s. You may start to feel not so good. You know, uh, you know, issues related to fatigue and and um, problems with. Um, moods, stress problems related to that. Uh, There could be lots of issues, but nothing that really is pointing to a cognitive problem yet, you know, but this is where it all starts. This is where it all begins to brew, particularly, particularly if you have, you know, genetic markers, which really raise and converge with these other risk factors to start to morph into a degener- de- degenerative problem, you know, as far as your brain function and your cognitive health, you know. So, if you're not working with somebody that really understands the big picture, um, it's going to get overlooked because most people certainly don't understand this. Of course, I describe all of this in great depth in the diabetic brain and Alzheimer's disease, which is available on Amazon. And I have uh, solutions that are built into the explanation of all of that, which is a personalized medicine approach and tracking your biomarkers, your markers of inflammation and oxidative stress, you know, looking at your genetic risk factors along with that, um, making sure that you're looking at issues related to toxins and um, uh, of course vascular disease and type two diabetes, and uh, finding somebody who accepts this model because this model is thriving you know, now we have clinics, now we have institutions that are incorporating this type of vascular metabolic approach to uh, looking at a person's risk. And uh, even in somebody that's a little bit older and is showing what is called mild cognitive impairment, which is the stage that precedes the onset of more severe cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease, um, they're looking at these problems, they're looking at inflammation, and they're actually doing some reversal of these cognitive problems and, of course, all of the other factors so that they're saving these people from a dementia or Alzheimer's later on in life. So this is nothing that is coming down the pipe it's here now and that's what i emphasize you have to find these people i have a program that i uh that i've initiated recently it's my brain defend program and that's exactly what i do i coach people into understanding what this could possibly mean for them and looking at the risk factors and advising and coaching along with the dietary and lifestyle factors that are really important to assess and control in terms of modifying your risk. But in my Brain Defend program, I have three cornerstones that are actually in my mind, and based on all the research I've seen, the three most important approaches to preventing an issue with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's disease as you age. And I call it my three cornerstone program, which is built on neuroprotection. And what that implies is looking at issues of inflammation and oxidative stress and toxins and controlling that, modifying that, looking at how those problems can be reversed. And it's very important because that's one way of protecting your brain from cognitive decline. The other thing that diet and lifestyle, like exercise and certain nutrients, uh, are really important is in a whole model of growing your brain as you age instead of letting it shrink. And that's literally what happens as you age your brain will shrink, which is a correlate to cognitive decline and dementia and Alzheimer's. And there are approaches to actually continue to encourage your brain to develop new brain cells. It's called neurogenesis. So that's my whole rejuvenation factor in my Brain Defend program. And neurogenesis is really, really an important Point and focus for anybody in their lifestyle and diet and in their stress modification. We now know that if you're into these approaches and enhancing your cognitive health as you age, you can even sustain some brain damage associated with a pathology characteristic of Alzheimer's disease and not show any problems with cognitive decline. So what I'm saying is you can actually have a disease going on, but you can compensate by having enough what's called cognitive reserve through these uh, approaches in neurogenesis that actually protects your brain as well against problems associated with brain aging and brain pathology. And one of the most exciting things, which is the third cornerstone in my Brain Defend program, is looking at brain energy metabolism. We now know, so you asked me about people in their 30s and 40s. Well, as I said, they can have other problems associated with vascular disease and metabolic problems they may not be aware of, but it could very easily show up in that belly fat, you know, in issues of fatigue. And of course, uh, people like uh, that may not be eating well, they not, may not be exercising. And that will coincide with what's called a preclinical stage of Alzheimer's disease, meaning no symptoms. But the disease process is actually starting in your brain. So that's called the preclinical stage of Alzheimer's disease where some of the pathology related to inflammation and uh, what is called amyloid protein and tau protein. These are the proteins that eventually form the lesions in the brain associated with Alzheimer's disease pathology. But all of these things start to actually take place like I said, 20 to 30 years, so they could be taking place in your 30s and 40s. And uh, one of the things that the research in the last five years has really started to ramp up around is that a lot of people, especially people with the APOE4 marker, they don't metabolize glucose that well in their brain. So they have a hypometabolism, their mitochondrial function, the mitochondria, the energy factories in your brains. So their mitochondria, because they're not able to sustain a good metabolic energy producing activity, because you are not able to metabolize glucose, they that well. Well, the mitochondria become somewhat dysfunctional. It's like the engine that doesn't have enough or good enough fuel to burn and starts to sputter. And so you have um, a problem there with this um, uh, brain energy metabolism that puts you at risk as you age, and this is a big problem for women especially. Now, like I said, you can be genetically predisposed. ApoE4s are more hypometabolic than other ApoE genotypes. There's ApoE2, A3, and 4 So if you're a four, you can have one or two uh, copies of that gene, you are more predisposed to these problems. But the research is clearly showing now that these hypometabolic problems, these mitochondrial issues, start very early in life, and they coincide with the preclinical model of Alzheimer's disease. And so the neuroenergetic component to my Brain Defend program, which is um, a really important component to all this and understanding how your energy metabolism is working for you or not working for you is really important. And we see how this works as a model for reversing problems in an aging person or somebody that has type two diabetes if they embrace ketogenesis. And of course, ketogenesis is all the rage. And that's where you're, uh, through dietary and supplementation, ramping up ketone bodies to replace glucose as an energy substrate in your brain so that your brain is able to function better. And that's a really important aspect. It could be crucial for somebody in the aging. Uh, tracked where they haven't been uh, diagnosed or assessed in terms of these problems but again these can start very early on and ketogenesis can be useful when you're younger to enhance um, either physical or cognitive uh, energy metabolism but it can be a crucial point for somebody that's aging and i'm going to give you uh, everybody that hopefully is listening to this a real tip women have a really big risk as far as this concerned. And this is the connection that people have been wondering about. And this is becoming now mainstream. It's going to, in my opinion, explode in terms of an approach for women and looking at their risk at midlife. Because we now know the literature clearly states that if you're not looking at these problems at midlife, you have a much bigger risk for problems in late life, which is your 60s, 70s, and 80s. And women at midlife, as they go through the menopausal transition, if they happen to be a woman that has low estrogen as they segue into this transition, (laughs) (laughs) well... Well, right. It's, uh, well, uh, estrogen.
1: I, I'm so glad you're bringing up the hormone component because we know that the estrogen feeds the brain. That's so important.
0: Well, here, here's how it works. And let me tell you, this is really important. Estrogen, and I was just blown away when I started to run into this years ago. I go, oh, my God, this is like my time when I ran into the APOE4 marker. Nobody is talking about it, and it's huge. They were alluding to it, and the research was already starting to surface, but estrogen in women controls glucose metabolism. Mm-hmm. And if you start to shunt into low estrogen as you age, you no longer are able to utilize glucose effectively to sustain brain energy metabolism. And that is critical. What the research shows is that women, especially, as they age, if they're in this uh, picture of low estrogen and glucose hypometabolism that goes along with it, they can actually start to break down the fat in their brain, especially the myelin. It's called myelin that um, sort of uh, wraps around your nerve tissue. And that myelin is a fatty tissue. And what you start to do is you start to break that down uh, to use the fat because your brain is looking for something to burn. So you you start to actually break down the fat in your brain to support energy metabolism. And if you're breaking down the fat in your brain, that's not a good thing. So that's something that's easily overcome through ketogenesis.
1: I've seen that as a clinical correlation when somebody has been exposed to heavy metals or mold or, um, pesticides. They, and, and, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount. And I'd like to, because you touched on that your parents worked in, um, in metals and you touched on your exposure. I mean, my own exposure when I did, um, when I did a provocated metal test, um, just to see what was going on. I had high levels of uranium. So basically I glow in the dark sometimes and it's going to outlive me clearly. And I will tell you, I had no exposure that I knew of to uranium until I started thinking about the wind patterns from some of the old um, chemical manufacturers here that used to actually manufacture plutonium. And so my, the house that I would live in for the summer was right in the wind pattern, right when wow. they had a fire. And so there was, I had no knowledge of that, but it was just environmentally there and everybody got exposed. So there doesn't, and and I can just hear people asking, do, you, oh, well, I, I didn't get exposed to metal. I'm not exposed to chemicals. Yes, you are <laughs> all the time. If you run, if you oh, run yeah. provocated tests, I mean, uh, we ran one on a five-year-old recently, and it was astounding. I, you know, and and you compare that to a, a 30-year-old, someone that's been on this earth for 30 years. I mean, you absolutely do have heavy metals, pesticides. It's it's which ones, right? And it's, you know, chelating those out. But, and I've also seen, and I'd be curious to know what you've seen from this standpoint, but I have seen so many women in their early 30s have incredibly low hormones already, both estrogen and progesterone, as we see an epidemic of infertility, right? Um, But I've seen that already in the early 30s. And I don't know if you've seen the same thing.
0: Well, I used to see all kinds of fluctuations like you are seeing now, but when I was in actively in my practice i did a lot of hormone testing especially for women and um yes you know lots of different fluctuations that would occur there and you know a big problem of course is um hrt in terms of um you know uh, young women which is you know, i'm going to stop you, birth control which is
1: hormone replacement therapy right yes
0: Yes, yes, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and that can be in the form of a um, contraceptive approach, you know, to, you know, that whole um, um, problem with uh, uh, averting a pregnancy, but um, that can actually... um, put women into a whole other problem of excess estrogen exposure and progesterone. It's really amazing. You know, I remember uh, at the time that I was in my practice, uh, Dr. Lee and his whole progesterone approach was really all the rage, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, and uh, progesterone is a big problem for women. And I actually can be quite a miracle, uh, a cure, if you will, for their home-related <laughs> issues. Mm-hmm. But I also saw where some women, um, and, and not a lot of people know this, but uh, I also saw some women that actually created a lot of problems for themselves by uh, uh, dosing too liberally with progesterone and not tracking their, their levels, uh, even though they, uh, in, in the beginning, uh, felt much better Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an interesting correlation to progesterone and thyroid function. Mm-hmm. So progesterone actually can support a thyroid function. So if you're deficient in progesterone, uh, your thyroid may be a little a weak. Uh, your thyroid function, but you can overdo it okay. if you have uh, an issue with your thyroid that uh, may be, be a, a low-grade inflammation and you start dumping a lot of progesterone and really ramping up uh, thyroid, you can actually create a big problem there. So you have to be careful.
1: The bottom line is, right, um, hormones need to be in balance. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's neither good nor bad, but they need to be in balance. If you don't have enough estrogen, you take too much progesterone, you gain weight, you have other problems, right? But, I mean, or too much... Too much testosterone, you know, looks like PCOS, but PCOS, <laughs> I mean, right. it, like we can flip every side of the coin, but from, you know, from what I hear you saying and, and also, I mean, I totally agree with you because what I've seen in practice on brain deterioration is it really, I mean, I think hormones play a huge role. Role, you know, and, and this is not like going out and getting on hormone replacement therapy that actually increases your cancer risk. I believe I've seen stats at 40%. This is talking about natural ways to elevate your hormones. Um, that that will help and also balancing the rest of your body and figuring out what is an endocrine disruptor, right? So, I mean, looking at heavy metals, looking at pesticides, looking at blood sugar, looking at methylation, or if you have an MTHFR, right? Gene issue, looking at cardiovascular risk, looking at blood pressure, looking at mini strokes, um, to name a few, and I, th- I think another point I just want to hit home that you hit on that I think is so important is uh, you said that some people in their forties just feel fatigued and moody, and this is just not a consequence of aging. You're not getting "quote unquote" old. This is not the way it is. Something is completely dysregulated in your system.
0: Absolutely, and that's where you um, really need to be under the guidance of somebody who understands prevention, right? And you hit it on a couple of very important points that, um, that oftentimes gets overlooked, but as you age, you know, hormones can be a big issue, and, and looking at that can be, could be huge, not only in terms of um, an estrogen problem, but a testosterone problem in men. Mm -hmm. So these hormones play a huge role in cognitive health as you age, you know, and you mentioned methylation, which is related to uh, a, a relatively simple fix in terms of a nutrient approach on folate and active folate or B12 and other nutrients. And that's very, very important. Because uh, one of the biggest risk factors for vascular disease and dementia and Alzheimer's is homocysteine. And homocysteine can be easily controlled in most people through methylation approaches. So methylation is critical. Methylation, actually, I make a big point of in the improved mind diet. And in the improved mind diet, I talk about epigenetics. And epigenetics is the study of how our environment can modify and change our genes in terms of how they express. Now, it doesn't change the DNA sequence, you know, the genes you have are the genes you have, but it does change in terms of how they ultimately express in a functional pattern. And methylation... And that approach and the epigenetic um, construct of uh, nutrition and, and other environmental factors is huge. This is going to be one of the biggest, biggest frontiers of Alzheimer's and approaches to modifying that risk that is coming down the line as we speak. And I talk about in the improved mind diet. The improved mind diet was modeled after two studies that were that coined the mind diet. And the auth, one of the authors of that study wrote her own book called the mind diet, and that's available. Uh, but I have uh, taken another approach, uh, which is talking about epigenetics. And personalizing all of this to a particular individual because as good as the Mediterranean diet and the mind diet and ketogenesis and all of these dietary approaches are for people, sometimes they have to be personalized to make sure that they fit that individual Best, and that's where the improved mind diet comes in because I talk about how this is really important in terms of a personalization tailored to you. Um, We all know the problems associated with grains and gluten and so a lot of diets that contain these as a healthy component because grains can be healthy for you but in some people it absolutely does not work whether it's a gluten issue or a glycemic issue grains may need to be restrained or eliminated uh, altogether Um, and then there is other issues one of the things that i talk about A lot in the diabetic brain and Alzheimer's disease and also in the improved mind diet is glycation. And glycation is what happens when you have elevated blood sugar. That's actually the damage that's happening in type 2 diabetes. You have this glycation process, which is the interaction of glucose with the proteins in your body which not only damage tissue and these functional proteins like enzymes that are very, very important in a lot of metabolic pathways, but it's the primary path of degeneration that occurs in that disease process. And that transfers into the brain. Glycation uh, actually morphs into uh, molecules, that are called Advanced Glycation End Products. And a very appropriate acronym for them are called AGES, A-G-E-S, Advanced Glycation End Products. Yeah, and AGES are huge. They're really huge, and you can easily track that through hemoglobin A1C. It is a marker of glycation, not just glycemic control, but it's a marker of glycation. And guess what? In the Improved Mind Diet, I talk about how that is a critical factor in how you cook your foods because the way you cook your foods can actually produce a lot of advanced glycation end products and other toxins that are very deleterious to your health and your brain. So
1: as a breakdown on that, this is basically burnt meat. Yes. (laughs) So that doesn't mean like super well done. That means grilling and that means barbecue that means overcooked meat can create this process as a takeaway.
0: Yeah, browning your meat is definitely whether it's grilling or roasting and all of that. Look, you know, we all need to kind of uh, have to enjoy our food, but um, and I did my more than my share when I was younger of grilling and eating that way. Uh, but if you have these issues. You know, If you have uh, metabolic problems, if you have vascular, uh, vascular disease risk, if you're a little older and all of this is starting to come together, you need to pull back. You need to be really aware of what all of this can mean to your health, and you need to start pulling back. So in the Improved Mind Diet, I created a week's worth of recipes. And one of the things I emphasize is a slow cooking, you know. I eat meat, you know, uh, plant-based diets are all the rage now, and I totally support that. I'm not a person that can do that kind of diet simply because I need to have animal protein in my diet in order to feel uh, well and energetic. Um, So uh, what I do with either my fish or poultry or my buffalo, I slow cook it. I don't fry it. I don't grill it. I don't blast it in the oven. I slow cook it. (laughs) And if you can cook your meats under 200 degrees, or in a slow cooker like that, um, well, that really makes a big difference.
1: I just laughed because I can hear like a patient asking me, does it matter if it's fried? I just like chuckled, like I could just hear it like happening, like because you want to negotiate when you feel like all your favorite things are being taken away. Yes, it cannot be fried. That's correct. So um, I love it. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: I just want to interject that, uh, you know, frying, <laughs> it's really tasty, but uh, <laughs> french fries, uh, french fries, as you know, uh, create a toxin. And um, um, uh, they it creates a toxin called acrylamide. And acrylamide is something that has to be uh, taken into account when frying these things. So acrylamide is a toxin. And French fries and potatoes produce that toxin when you fry them. You have to be really careful about how much you get of this stuff.
1: Awesome, and this can be always measured on tests to check to see where you are um, on all these on all these issues and um, topics that we talked about. Any um, listener takeaways that you feel like are important that we haven't addressed? I, I feel like we've covered a ton today.
0: No, no, I don't think that we've left out too much, but uh, I encourage people to go to my website, the Alzheimer's solution.com. I have a wealth of information there and um, look for my books, the diabetic brain and Alzheimer's disease and the improved mind diet, which, you know, covers all of the bases that we've been uh, talking about as well too. And, um, you know, one of the things that I will provide for your um, listeners is a complimentary discovery session, so they can. Uh, when you uh, have this up on your website, uh, there there'll be hopefully you can provide some links where it will come back to the AlzheimerSolution dot and it will uh, get them into an opportunity to schedule. A a discovery session uh, to ask a few questions. I also have a self assessment form, which is a lifestyle and dietary and uh, other risk factors uh, self assessment form that they can take and get an idea of uh, some of these issues as it relates to them. So uh, we have some bonuses here uh, for your listeners that they can take advantage of too.
1: Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us and just giving us all this helpful information today. That was fantastic. And to all the listeners out there, if you enjoyed what you heard, please go down and rank us five stars and comment so that we can keep doing what we love. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.